A detective came and knocked on the door, and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to Season 2 of Proof wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. In the days following the disappearance and death of Damien Hurd, there was a lot of information to follow up on, including sightings of Damien's car and evidence he attended classes. But by far, the most remarkable lead was a tip from a Gunnison County employee named Linda Nienhauser. It's the kind of investigative break detectives dream of. A witness who calls with new evidence that sheds light on a head-scratching case. Get ready for another twist in the search for what happened to Damien Hurd and who, if anyone, is responsible. From Cold Case Productions, this is Final Days on Earth, The Life and Death of Damien Hurd. Episode 5, The Hiker. I'm your host, Claire Sanima. Thanks for listening. Linda Nienhauser called the Gunnison Police Department at 4 p.m. on April 2, 2014, shortly after detectives had discovered Damien's body hanging from a tree. When Linda, the Gunnison County Finance Director, heard about Damien's death, she eagerly contacted police to ask if the college freshman had been found at Cabin Creek. Detective Grace Cowan took the call and confirmed the location. But what happened next is a detail I still can't wrap my head around. No one recorded the initial conversation. Linda told the police she had been at Cabin Creek on Sunday, March 30th, and had seen several cars and people there matching the description of Damien Hurd. For whatever reason, police didn't record this conversation. They had already recorded two other unsolicited tips that came in on the same day, calls from Western students Samantha Braun and Dylan Weinchant. But this eyewitness account, from a fellow Gunnison County employee, was not recorded on April 2nd, the very day Damien's body was found. In fact, for five years, I didn't think there was a recorded conversation with Linda Nienhauser at all, because there wasn't one listed in the police evidence log of interviews. But as I poured over the 187-page police report on Damien's case, I noticed a single reference to an audio recording of an interview at the Gunnison County Airport with Linda Nienhauser and Detective Grace Cowan. It took place one week after Linda's initial phone call. 
Could there be an interview I'd never heard before? I dialed up the Gunnison Police Department to find out. Hi, Claire. This is Sonia with um, Gunnison Police Department. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I just came back from lunch and realized I had a message from you, so I wanted to um, give you a quick call back. Sonia Parameter is a records technician with the Gunnison Police Department. When I inquired about the Linda Nienhauser recording in 2019, she apologized for the oversight and confirmed its existence. It was just kind of a clerical um, error. Like I said, it was in the same storage as all the others. Gotcha. It just didn't get listed out individually. So. Yeah, I mean, it's such a huge case. I, I figured that, you know, there probably would be some kind of things that, you know, I don't know, the pages stick together or whatever might, might happen. I always like to give people the benefit of the doubt. But just to be sure I wasn't missing any additional recordings, I listed out every phone call, interview, or conversation that police noted in their file on Damien's case. There were 30 items on my amended request that I didn't see listed in evidence, and I asked Gunnison police to confirm that no recordings were made. And then in terms of all the other phone call interviews or so tip calls, what those I've just done is recorded? I basically um, gave a list to each officer that we had involved in, and mainly we're talking about um, Josh Ash, who did the initial, um, a lot of the initial work, Chris Danos and Grace Cowan, mm-hmm. and I kind of went through your whole list and gave them each their own list of can you confirm or deny do you have a recording of any of these things because I don't have it in property and most of those things um, actually almost all of them did not say it anywhere that they were recorded right so I'm pretty sure they're not going to be but I'm going to get you you know a confirmation on all of that that was reviewed by myself and by that officer in question in the end there were only two additional recordings that Gunnison police were able to locate from my list Henry Gaudian, a former member of the track team, and of course, Linda Nienhauser. I could hardly wait to listen to the file. Okay, interview with Linda Nienhauser at 1.24 p.m. on the 9th of April, 2014. The following is a chilling story of what Linda saw on a hike she took outside Gunnison, Colorado on Sunday, March 30th, 2014. And I parked the car at the entrance to the Cabin Creek Trail, or road. Took my dog out of the back and put the leash on her and we headed down the road. Linda estimates she began her hike about 10 a.m. on Sunday. Although the significance wasn't clear at the time, Linda remembered seeing a black SUV like Damien's when she got out of her car. The black SUV was parked in front of the gate. Based on the time and date, Linda seeing Damien's car at Cabin Creek isn't all that surprising. But that wasn't all she saw. Linda also described a second vehicle at the scene. There was a white, full-size pickup with a topper parked right beside me. And a pair of freshly used bicycles. There were two bicycles tied to that post when I was going in. I had been, you know, noticing the tracks on the snow of the two bikes and so it looked like they had been... They went in there that morning ahead of me. And so I assumed that those two bikes came out of that white pickup. Linda and her dog hiked down into the rock quarry and spent several hours at Cabin Creek. You know, with those two vehicles there, I thought maybe I would see some people along the way or hear some people talking or whatever. Um, But I didn't see or hear anyone the whole time. Linda remembers hearing the noon whistle, 
a mainstay in the town of Gunnison, before taking a leisurely snack break. She had no idea anyone might have been watching her. I kind of lollygagged on the way back out, stopped and had some cheese and crackers. So I'm guessing I got back to the car about 2, somewhere there, 1.30 maybe. As she approached her car, Linda surveyed her surroundings once more. For some reason, just glanced to the right of where the road was going, and, and on that um, ridge there. And then she spotted something unusual. It looked like a person standing up, camouflage jacket. There's really no disputing that Linda was looking at Damien's body. He was found in a camouflage sweatshirt on a ridge at Cabin Creek. But what's truly remarkable is who else Linda saw. And I thought I saw another individual squatted down to the right of that. I thought I saw someone squatted down with binoculars because it was black right here. You know, I turned my glance away right away. I didn't want to stare at him. Understandably, Linda felt uncomfortable with the idea of someone watching her through binoculars. In my mind, I thought, that is really strange. No, I tried not to stare over there because I thought they were watching me. That's what it seemed like, because they were both looking in my direction. So the whole time when I was walking, I was kind of, it just gave me the creeps that someone was looking at me through binoculars. As Linda continued her trek back to her car, she couldn't resist stealing one more glance at the mysterious scene on the ridge. Linda's eyes were drawn to Damien's body and to its curious posture. When I got closer, I glanced up there one more time and realized that the person that I thought was looking my way was actually turned the other way because I saw um, black shoes with the toes were pointed the opposite direction of what I expected. I had thought the person was you know, looking my direction, but when I got there and saw the feet going the other direction, that didn't make any sense to me. When Damien's body was found, he was hanging from a crude noose, with his back to the road and his feet pointed down, toes touching the ground. This helps explain Linda's description of the camouflage figure, standing up, with his feet going the other direction. Did you see anything else? Can you think of anything? Mm, it looked like... You know, it wasn't like blue or green or red. There was no color for clothing. In fact, there was nothing that stood out to me as a different color than the scenery. What Linda describes is consistent with how Damien's body was found, except for a few bright details. When police photographed the death scene, Damien was hanging from a red jumper cable, and an orange sleeping bag was partially unfurled on the rock next to him, elevated above the ground. She went into pretty good detail in her statement about the surroundings and how everything just seemed natural and just blended in, that there was no colors popping. That's Damien's father, Gary Hurd. One of the first things that clicked into my, my mind was the fact that Linda had said that, but yet here we are in the scene photos and basically the backdrop of Damien's body is a ridiculously bright hunter orange sleeping bag that would have stuck out like a sore thumb. Linda's statement raises big questions in this investigation, like, was Damien really alone when he died? And did anyone tamper with his body or the scene before the police arrived on Wednesday morning? I had to believe at that point that sleeping bag wasn't there on Sunday when Linda came through. She would have said something about it. She mentioned the fact that there was no off-the-wall colors. 
Linda's accuracy about Damien's clothing, his car, and the position of his body lends credibility to the rest of what she saw. If Damien was hanging from a noose on Sunday afternoon, why wouldn't Linda have seen the red jumper cable? When police found Damien's body, the first responding officer could see that he was hanging from a red rope as he approached the gate to Cabin Creek, which is about the same place that Linda was standing on Sunday. One possible explanation comes from photos of the scene of Damien's death. There was also a black jumper cable found at Cabin Creek, near Damien's body. It was the other half of the set from his car. The instruction tag, ripped off at the scene, was photographed on the ground. As I reviewed the scene photos, it occurred to me that if the black jumper cable had been used to hang Damien's body instead of the red one, it would have been consistent with Linda's description of all the colors blending in. It's possible Linda just missed the red jumper cable. After all, she said she glanced only briefly at the scene because she saw someone looking at her through binoculars. But the bright orange Coleman sleeping bag, the kind of color that hunters use to stand out in nature, is a different animal. It's hard to imagine Linda missing that detail when she was close enough to correctly identify the direction of Damien's shoes and to notice he was wearing camouflage. Considering Linda saw a second vehicle at Cabin Creek on Sunday, it's possible someone else moved the red jumper cable and the orange sleeping bag into position on Damien's body after Linda left. But considering that very real possibility would call into question the police theory on the case, namely that no one else was involved in Damien's death. Linda's statement brought renewed hope to Gary Hurd, who was increasingly suspicious of foul play in his son's case. I was naive enough to think that, you know, maybe maybe the police are, are actually going to look at this a little bit differently. Detective Grace Cowan asked Linda for a more detailed description of the second vehicle she saw parked at Cabin Creek, the white truck with a camper shell. So the white truck, uh, would you say it was full-sized? Mm-hmm. And full-sized, I guess, meaning like a crew cab, maybe. I didn't pay attention to the model or make. Um, it was just a full-size white pickup with a um, topper that was the same height as the cab. Did it have like a four doors or two door? Do you remember? I think it only had two doors, but it may have been an extended cab. I don't remember that part necessarily. Linda mentioned one other detail that stood out in her mind. The only thing I did notice about it is it had a pink, like a cancer survivor or whatever those license plates are that have the pink ribbon and pink lettering on it. The state of Colorado offers a variety of special license plates, including one for breast cancer awareness, with the pink ribbon like Linda described. The plate was first rolled out in 2005, and it was redesigned in 2009. According to the Colorado Department of Revenue, in April 2014, there would have been about 35,000 vehicles with the breast cancer awareness license plate. We're trying to identify the person in the white truck. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to see it again in town, would you, would you let me know? You know, know? I've actually been looking for okay. it. I watch, every time there's a white pickup, I look at the license plate to see if it's that pink thing. Linda's first conversation with the Gunnison police occurred on April 2nd, but authorities didn't follow up with her for an entire week, which is a long time in a death investigation. On April 9th, the same day cops met with Linda in person, they released a statement in the Montrose Press that said, Gunnison police are looking for anyone who was in Cabin Creek on Sunday, March 30th, between sunrise and noon. 
there was no mention of a white truck, bicycles, or anything else. Police often hold back some degree of information from the public in an active investigation, but the lack of detail in this request struck me as overly vague. How could people help if they don't know what to look for? In a 2015 interview that I conducted for CBS News on Damien's case, I asked Gunnison police if they attempted to find the owner of the white truck. Detective Chris Danos told me he did. Officers went through the list of vehicles registered in Colorado with official breast cancer awareness license plates to look for white trucks with the camper shell. Danos said they did not find any connection to Damien's case. The most consistent part of Linda's description of the license plate was the presence of the color pink. But when I pressed Detective Danos in 2015, he said they only looked at owners of white trucks with the registered Colorado breast cancer awareness plate. The owners of white trucks that otherwise fit Linda's description were not questioned. The idea that it could have been a removable pink license plate holder or magnetic ribbon placed on the license plate was never seriously considered. What's never made sense to me is how Gunnison police accepted the existence of a breast cancer awareness license plate as an indisputable fact, even while they discounted other key elements of Linda's account, such as her repeated statements about a second person next to Damien's body, a person using binoculars, and wearing camouflage. And there's something else curious about Linda's statement, the timing of it. Damien's father, Gary Hurd, says when Gunnison police officer Josh Ash called him to give the death notification, Ash said there was a witness at Cabin Creek that put Damien's body on scene Sunday. He told me on the phone Wednesday that they had a witness that put Damien's body there on scene Sunday. Um, that's as much information as he gave me. I didn't know it was Linda. I didn't know exactly what she had said. Okay, that's really interesting. Uh, because the timing of that doesn't totally make sense. It makes no sense. How did they talk to this witness before they even talked to me? According to the report, Ash says that he called you at about 1 p.m. It says 12.50 p.m. According to the police report, their own police report, she called them at 4 p.m. for the first time. <laughs> so we've got a discrepancy here. Because if she called them for the first time at 4 p.m. and they called you at 1 and mentioned that they had a witness, it's either not Linda and they have another witness or they're not being truthful about the first time that they heard Linda's account. In my reporting of Damien's case over the years, I've spoken with Gunnison police for stories with multiple news outlets. I reached out again in 2020 requesting interviews for this podcast. Investigations. Hi, is this Detective Danos? This is. Hi, it's Claire Sanamo. I'm working on a podcast about the life and death of Damien Hurd, um, and I wanted to chat with you, set up a time to talk about the case. I realize this is like a blast from the past, so I was trying to give you a heads up um, about it so that you know we could set up a time to talk. When yeah, that's not going to happen. I'm. I, it would be inappropriate for me to. I mean, there's too many people that would be emotionally affected if they listen to your podcast and that kind of thing so i'm gonna i'm gonna bow out but thanks for thinking of me you have a good day in my line of work it's not unusual to get hung up on 
but I do think that's the first time a police officer has done it. Undeterred, I also requested interviews with Detective Grace Cowan and Officer Josh Ash. Yes, you've reached Detective Cowan with the Gunnison Police Department, and I'm not available, but if you leave your name and number, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Thank you. You may start your message now. Press zero to return to the attendant. Hi, Detective Cowan. My name is Claire Sanima, and I'm a journalist working on a podcast about the Damien Hurd case. I had sent you an email hoping to set up a time where we could talk about the case. Um, I know that it's not something that's on the top of your mind as it's six years old, so I wanted to give you a heads up. Uh, my phone number is 214. Next, I gave Officer Josh Ash a call. Police Department, this is Josh. Hi, Josh. My name is Claire Sanima, and I'm a journalist working on a podcast about the Damien Hurd case. Um, I wanted to reach out to you and see if um, we could talk about uh, that investigation a little bit. Well, I really appreciate your call. I think I received your email a while back. But I'm just, uh, you know, that's, um, I'm not going to comment and sort of go through that at this time one it wouldn't be up to me to be able to do that that would be up to our uh public information officer anyway okay. i'd be i'm not i'm not allowed to to just you know have interviews and and uh, make comments without clearing that with a supervisor sure who is that supervisor that i should talk to that would be captain chris wilson okay yep um do you have contact information for him I do. I took down Captain Wilson's number and dialed him straight away. You've reached Chris Wilson, Captain with the Gunnison Police Department. I'm either away from my desk or out of the office. Please leave a message and I will return your phone call back as soon as possible. Thank you. You may start your message now. Press zero to return to the attendant. Hi, Captain Wilson. My name is Claire Sanima, and I'm a journalist working on a podcast about the Damien Hurd case. I wanted to talk to you about requesting some interviews with um, officers and detectives. Um, please give me a call back when you have a chance. A year later, I'm still waiting for that call back. Back in the summer of 2014, Gary was already growing frustrated with the police in his son's case and started taking matters into his own hands. So what did you do uh, in response to the description of the white truck? We took out our own ad, giving a description of the vehicle. Gary's ad ran in the Gunnison Country Times on July 3rd, 2014, three months after Damien's body was found. It said, Death Investigation Reward. Gunnison Police Department is looking for a white pickup truck with a white camper shell. The license plates are breast cancer awareness themed and have pink on them. The camper shell could have been removed. The truck was described as being very clean and nice. A witness reported seeing the truck at the trailhead where the body of Damien Hurd was found on April 2, 2014. The witness also reported seeing a person with what we now know was Damien's body. If you have any information regarding the truck or the investigation into Damien's death, please call the Gunnison Police Department or Gary Hurd. The family is offering a $25,000 reward for information that results in an arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible for Damien's death. We 
started getting phone calls and emails of people giving us addresses and license plate numbers of vehicles that match that description, a couple of dozen or so. In a lot of ways, that's not surprising. White trucks are common vehicles, and camper shells are a popular choice in Colorado. But one of the license plates provided to Gary brought up a familiar name. One of the ones that they found when we ran the license plates here uh, in Texas, we found out that the vehicle that they had given us the license plate number and the description to belonged to Kyle Pyatt's parents. It was registered to them. Kyle Pyatt, the captain of the wrestling team and one of the people that Damien argued with on the last night of his life. Not only was it registered to Kyle Pyatt's parents, it was also a vehicle that other kids knew of. They knew that Andrew Morris drove that vehicle and that it generally was parked there at the wrestler's house, either in front or behind in an alleyway. I brought all that to Detective Dennis's attention, and he did absolutely nothing with it. And I even asked him about, you know, you said that nobody that Damien knew, you know, had a vehicle that matched that description, and lo and behold, it was one of the main characters involved in some of the incidents that took place Saturday night. It was his parents that had a vehicle that matched that description perfectly, and that it was at the house almost all the time. When I talked to Danos about that in 2015, he told me the reason why that vehicle was not possibly the vehicle that Linda saw was because it didn't have a breast cancer awareness registered license plate. I heard that one at one point as well. Kyle Pyatt declined my repeated requests for an interview on Damien's case. The owner of the white truck and the two people who were riding mountain bikes at Cabin Creek on March 30th, 2014, have never been identified. This unresolved issue means someone out there could have more information about the way Damien's body ended up on a ridge at Cabin Creek in a jumper cable noose. Linda's eyewitness account is a source of great interest to me. And I was surprised to learn that in the days before Linda recorded her statement with the Gunnison Police Department on April 9th, she was summoned to the scene at Cabin Creek by Frank Vader, the coroner who conducted Damien's autopsy. In my 10 years as a journalist, I've never covered another death investigation where the medical examiner takes a key witness to the scene and conducts their own interview without the police. I learned about this unrecorded meeting in an offhand reference during Linda's conversation with Detective Grace Cowan on April 9th. According to Linda, she and Frank apparently retraced some of her steps at Cabin Creek, though not all of them. When you went out with Frank, did you guys go look for those bikes? No. Okay. That was quite a ways down there. Linda acknowledged that the conditions at Cabin Creek were notably different by the time she revisited the location with the coroner. Just in that week's time, the road dried up a lot and the snow went away and it's a whole different, you know, the road looks a lot different. Linda's hike at Cabin Creek was on March 30th. Damien's body was found on April 2nd, and Linda called the police for the first time that afternoon. That initial conversation was not recorded. Linda says following her call to police, she was contacted by the county coroner, Frank Vader, and asked to come back out to Cabin Creek the weekend of April 5th to discuss what she'd seen. It was during this unrecorded meeting, without law enforcement present, that Linda seems to have first developed doubts about her own reliability as a witness. I thought I saw, well, I know I saw. 
On April 9th, four days after meeting with the coroner, Linda talked to Gunnison Police Detective Grace Cowan for her first recorded interview. In it, Linda references her meeting with the coroner multiple times and expresses her discomfort reconciling what she saw and the story she was told about Damien's death being a suicide, a story that required Damien to be all alone at Cabin Creek. It looked like a person standing up, camouflage jacket, and then I thought I saw another individual squatted down to the right of that. So the whole time when I was walking, I was kind of, it just gave me the creeps that someone was looking at me through binoculars. So that's what I thought I saw. That doesn't make any sense to me now, and I can't make that logically fit into the whole story. And well, so in my mind, that's what I saw, but I don't think that, I don't think that's what I saw. I mean, I don't think there was, it doesn't make sense to me that there was someone else there at that time. So I'm just telling you what I thought at the time. Linda reiterated the reason why she felt fearful was because of that second person squatting down next to Damien's body using binoculars. And if it had been just the one person there, I probably would have paid more attention and looked more closely. Mm -hmm. But when I thought there was another person kind of squatted down with binoculars, I honestly was a little creeped out and just kept walking and didn't want to look over there because I, you know, I just, I thought, well, this is a little weird. I'm just going to go get my car and leave. Linda, a Gunnison County employee herself, sounds conflicted about the fact that her eyewitness statement goes against the idea of Damien being alone at Cabin Creek. And it certainly raises questions about whether or not there is a continuing threat to public safety, and if Damien committed suicide or was murdered. Here again is Damien's father, Gary Hurd. I had a pretty good reason to believe that we should keep investigating this you know, further. And in the beginning, I was naive enough to think that, you know, maybe maybe the police are, are actually going to look at this a little bit differently. And then as time went on, we realized that wasn't going to be the case. No matter what was presented to them, they were just going to keep that narrative and, and keep working toward that narrative. The day after Detective Grace Cowan met with Linda Nienhauser, the two women got together again, this time back at Cabin Creek. This April 10th meeting marks the third time Linda interacted with an investigator in the case where the meeting was not recorded. All we have to go on is a brief written report from Detective Cowan. In a tidy two-paragraph description, the detective writes that Linda no longer believes she saw a second person crouching down next to Damien's body. Instead, the report claims, Linda now believes that she was looking at a crack in the rock when she mistook it for a person wearing camouflage and staring at her through binoculars. Damien's father still has as many questions today as he did when he first heard Linda's statement. There's definitely been no resolution to what she saw. It was never investigated as far as I'm concerned. It was just kind of looked over. She never said, I made a mistake. I've never seen anybody up there. The police report raises far more questions than it answers, such as why did Gunnison police and the county coroner have multiple unrecorded conversations with a key witness in this case? And how is it possible that six years later, we still don't know who was driving that white truck or riding those mountain bikes in the area near Damien's body? What were they doing there? And why haven't they ever come forward? It would take six months for the Gunnison County Coroner to release a final autopsy on Damien's case. Damien's family commissioned a second autopsy in Texas. 
In the end, both medical examiners returned a finding of suicide by hanging. There was no mention of Linda's eyewitness description of a second person at the scene in either report. In its concluding statement, the Texas autopsy reads, In determining manner of death, circumstances surrounding death need to be considered. Most hangings are suicides. Homicide manner is considered if there is evidence of either a significant struggle or evidence that the deceased was so impaired as to not be able to fight off the attacker. As a result of this autopsy and the history provided to me, both from the family of the deceased and the police agency, there is no evidence of impairment. There is also no physical evidence of a struggle. Relying on my training and experience, the findings are consistent with suicide. If any other information and evidence becomes available, I will reconsider my opinion. If you have any information about Damien's case, we want to hear from you. Contact us securely at finaldaysonearth.com. On the next episode of Final Days on Earth, The Life and Death of Damien Hurd, we'll explore new eyewitness statements from the early days of Damien's disappearance. Got some information for you. Would you like to meet somewhere? Sure. What, what, what do you have information regarding? Well, it's, it's about the, uh, the case out there on Cabin Creek. After Damien's body is found... The tip line is about to light up with information. Two of the kids on my wrestling team saw him um, driving around. They, they said that they swore they saw him driving. They're like, we've seen Damien's car. We saw him driving around. He was like speeding out of guys. Speeding? Who, who told you that? Final Days on Earth is recorded in Dallas, Texas for Cold Case Productions in partnership with Podcast One and Live by Live. Each episode is written, reported, and produced by me, Claire Sanima. Original theme music composed and performed by Riley Simmons. Songs licensed from premiumbeat.com are Bending Truth and A Thin Line. Editorial consultant is Lucy Scott of lucymedia.com. Additional production help from Amber Robinson, Janice Sue, and Elise Weber. Executive producers are Sharon Richards and me, Claire Sanima. This episode utilized Gunnison Police Records and my conversation with Gary Hurd. Tune in next week as we continue our search to understand what happened to Damien Hurd and who, if anyone, is responsible. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Superlight Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The Eucalyptus Fiber Upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Superlight Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And, because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot code SUPER24.